You're listening to the Jesus Culture San Diego Message of the Week. I get the privilege of introducing um, Banning Leapshire, who's not a stranger. He's part of the team. He's my, he's my boss, the founder, boss friend, founder of Jesus Culture. He was just here in October. Um, and uh, in case you're new or don't know all of the Jesus Culture story, um, over, gosh, 23 years ago, Jesus Culture started out of a youth group in Reading and has grown for the last 23 years. We have a church in Sacramento that's seven years old. So Banning's the global senior pastor. He also leads a church in Sacramento. But also we get the, the blessing of him and other people from our team coming down. So he is here to preach. And let me tell you, it's a good word. So this is what we need to do. I need you to stand up and give Banning a warm JC San Diego welcome. Thank you, thank you. All right, you can be seated. It's good to see everybody. Good morning. I flew in uh, last night, and I was, uh, it was a little cold when I flew in. I always wonder how Southern California people do anytime there's rain or cold, or I don't know if you guys, you guys holding up. I'm surprised to see you went, left the house and actually showed up. When we were coming down, we used to come down every year. We kind of still do, but we would bring our kids for a week to Disneyland uh, when they were little, and uh, we stayed at this, this couple said, hey, come stay at our house. They lived in Orange. And uh, so we'd go down and stay at their house. And, um, but it was funny, when we first started coming down from Northern California to Southern California to do Disneyland, we were kind of getting freaked out because they're like, oh no, it's gonna rain tomorrow. We're like, we're here with our family. We're gonna go do Disneyland. They're like, it's gonna rain tomorrow. And like, it was all over the news and everybody was talking about it. And we're like, oh no, like, were, were you gonna be able to go to Disneyland? We kind of get all of our rain gear and show up at Disneyland. And I'm not making this up. It was like a light mist. It was like a light mist that was falling. <laughs> and I realized, oh, you, your definition of rain is different than my definition of rain. And uh, we began to pray for rain when we would come in December because everybody would just stay home. <laughs> and then we'd walk around Disneyland with a light mist falling <laughs> and just enjoy Disneyland. So every time I come down here and it's cold or a little rainy, I'm concerned for you guys. <laughs> I flew in uh, uh, late last night simply because um, we are in the middle of basketball season for my son. And uh, so I, I, you know, I am a pastor and that's one of the jobs I do. But the even greater job than that is, is I feel from middle of November to middle of March, I have a mandate to help referees out. And, um, and so that's, that's what I was doing this whole weekend. I was helping, I was helping support referees in their job of uh, refereeing my son's games. We'll see how it goes. Hey, if you have your Bibles, get them out. Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context of why I want to speak on what I'm speaking on today. I really feel like the Lord's been talking to me that he is wanting to infuse hope and anticipation into our hearts as we head into 2022. So I really believe that right now we need to position our lives and we need to contend for this one thing that God is wanting to release, anticipation and hope, that you would go into 2022 with great anticipation and great hope for all that God is going to do. And I really do believe there's probably a war over that issue. There's a war over the issue of hope, a war over the issue of anticipation. So what we're going to talk about today is my, my goal in my heart would be to get you to that place. I um, Acts chapter 8, we'll go there in just a minute. I mentioned that my son plays basketball, and if you, um, if you were an athlete, really, at, at a competitive level, at any level, really, not just a professional or college, but if you played sports, uh, one of the things that you would become accustomed to is watching film, watching game film. 
And uh, it's something that you just do. And you watch film and you're watching film for a, a, a variety of reasons. Uh, you might be wanting to study your own tendencies and get better. Maybe you're studying your baseball swing, your golf swing. You might be watching film to kind of see how you could better attack a situation or what you need to do better. But you also watch film because you're wanting to study the opponent as well. So, uh, you know, a coach will watch game film to see if there's a weakness in the secondary in a football or how a team does against a zone or a boxer will watch their opponent to see if there's a tell for when they're going to load a punch or different things like that. And you watch film to study and to kind of get acquainted with, with somebody or how, how to know them better. Kobe Bryant, they say, was legendary at watching film and that he would actually watch film at halftime. He would come in at halftime a game, watch film so that he could come out and, and uh, be better in the second half. I'm going to read you a passage out of Psalms where it talks about David. But this is the picture I want to give you. David was passionate about studying the film of God. David wanted to study the film of God. You see it throughout scripture that his cry is this, like, God, I want to know your ways. I want to know how you work. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know your nature. I want to know your character. David had a passion to study the film of God so that he could better know who God was and better know how God works. So what he says in Psalms 86, teach me, your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. This is what David says. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. He says, God, I want to know how you work because when I can understand how you work, it gives me a better glimpse into your nature and your character and who you are. And when I know who you are, I trust you. Faith and hope are connected to understanding and knowing intimately the nature and character of God and how he works. This is why there should be a passion in our hearts, the same cry that was in David's heart that said, God, I want to know your ways. I want to know how you work. I want to know who you are. This is why scripture is such a gift to us. It's the game film of God. You want to know how God works you want to know how God thinks. You want to know about God's ways. Scripture reveals those things. I think that the book of Acts is such a profound gift to us, even in the season we're in right now, because it's a game film of how God works. And it's important that you understand how he works if you're going to get to the place of hope and anticipation and faith for what's ahead. Acts chapter 8 we're going to get to this point is, 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 is a story, is the part where the, the church in Jerusalem is scattered because of persecution. But when Jesus left the disciples, leading up to Acts chapter 8, when Jesus left the disciples, he left them and he said, you need to go wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And sure enough, the disciples go, they wait in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and the church is birthed. The church is birthed in Acts chapter You are part of a church that was birthed over 2,000 years ago in an upper room in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes in Jerusalem. The church is birthed in Jerusalem. And they see for five years pretty profound growth and breakthrough. I mean, it's an exhilarating time to be in Jerusalem and part 
of the church. It wasn't all perfect, but it was signs and wonders. It was thousands coming to Jesus. It was growth. It was breakthrough. It was revelatory teaching. It was times of connection, going house to house in communion, in prayer. It was an incredible time in, in the church in those first five years. That's Acts 2. And then Acts 7, Acts 2 through 7, five years. Acts 7, a disruption happens. Church is cruising along, they're growing, signs and wonders, miracle, revelatory teaching, connection, communion, all this stuff. Acts 7, Stephen gets martyred. The first martyr, Stephen gets martyred, and a disruption happens. And this is where we land in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many were paralyzed and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I think as we look at the, the game film of scripture, we see that there's a storyline of God unfolding in the book of Acts. But as we get to the part of the story in Acts where the, where the disciples are scattered and there's a disruption that happens, you can't understand Acts 8-1 without understanding Acts 1-8. Sometimes I think when we don't understand the story, you can't understand a story by jumping into the middle of it. I, I want to ho hopefully bring some clarity today because... When people don't understand the storyline of God or how he works, they jump into the middle of the story and are confused because they don't understand that Acts 8-1 doesn't make sense apart from Acts 1-8. You ever jumped into the middle of a story? I, I, uh, when, when the Harry Potter movies came out, and I, I didn't really watch any of them. I mean, I didn't, whatever. I, I don't know. I, was, I wasn't super interested in it. But, but I've watched them since then, but the, I hadn't watched any of them. And um, Derek Johnson, who's a worship pastor for us in Sacramento, we were, I took him on a trip with me to Australia. I was preaching in Australia. So we get out to Australia, and if you've ever flown you know, international like this, you just get in, there's kind of some jet lag, you're tired when you land, we land at two in the afternoon or whatever it is. And so our goal is, you, you wanna stay up. Like, that's the goal. We gotta stay up to nine o'clock. If we can stay up to nine o'clock, we can get onto this new time zone. And, and you're fighting hard, because everything in you wants to just go to sleep. But if you go to sleep, it's gonna mess up the whole week you're there. So we get to our hotel around 4, 4.30. We're in our hotel room and we just want to go to sleep. I'm like, Derek, we can't go to sleep, man. We got to stay up till nine. We're going to stay up till nine. So we turn the television on and uh, we're going to just turn the television on and watch something. And there's a Harry Potter movie on. Now, I don't know much about Harry Potter. I didn't know that there were seven movies at that time. This is when all of them had come out. There's seven movies. And I, we, we started, I, I think we were watching the fifth or the sixth one. 
And if you ever jumped into a series like that, I'm, I'm, I'm already exhausted, right? It's already like massive jet lag. And all I remember is this. I'm sitting in Australia in a hotel room with Derek watching the fifth or sixth movie of Harry Potter. So confused. <laughs> I just remember going, what is going on right now? Like I have... I have no idea what's happening. Why does that guy not have a nose? Like, like what? What is happening in this story? And I just remember like trying to stay awake to the best of my ability, so confused, not understanding at all what's happening. I run into a lot of believers who are in the same mode. They're looking at the state of the world, of California, of their city, of their life, of their family, just confused because they don't understand the storyline of God because they haven't connected the middle of the story to the beginning of the story. They haven't connected the fact that Acts 8-1, that the disruption in Acts 8-1 is connected to the mandate and mission of Acts 1-8. That they don't have context because they haven't studied the film of God. They don't know how he works. Here's Acts 1-8. The disruption of Acts 8-1 is connected to the mandate and mission of Acts 1-8. It was this, Acts 1-8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and here it is, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. See, the disruption in 8-1 was about to lead to revival in Samaria. The disruption that was happening in 8-1 was connected. It was the second act of evangelism that God was about to release and revival was going to happen in Samaria. But when I don't understand that, hopelessness begins to set in. Listen, you have to put yourself in the, in the church in Jerusalem. There was a disruption that happened. This wasn't just persecution. It wasn't just the persecution came. These were people that were in community with one another. These are people that were house to house, in prayer together, eating meals together, fellowshipping together, experiencing growth and teaching and revelation together. And then all of a sudden, disruption comes, scattering happens. But the disruption is connected to Samaria is about to experience revival. And when I don't understand that, hopelessness begins to come in. You can look at what's happening in Jerusalem and you think Saul is making havoc in the church. It looks like an antichrist spirit is being triumphant. It looks like the antichrist spirit is winning in Jerusalem. But you only believe that when you don't understand that Acts 8 is connected to Acts 1-8. And that I can't just jump into the middle of the story. I have to understand how God works. I have to understand the storyline of God. There has been a disruption in our lives. There has been a disruption in the church. There's been a disruption in your life, in our state, in our nation. And if, and if you don't have prophetic clarity of how God works, then it leads you to a place of confusion. It leads you to a bunch of other D words. It leads you to, this is what happens. Disruption apart from prophetic clarity, apart from understanding how God works. Disruption, which is meant to lead to revival. 
Disruption leads to disappointment. Disruption leads to discouragement. Disruption leads to disillusionment, which leads to deception. It leads to distraction. One of my main concerns right now is this issue of distraction. Is that because believers don't understand the storyline of God, they don't understand that this disruption is leading to a place in Samaria where God's about to pour out his spirit in a profound way. And when we don't understand that, the church gets caught up in distractions And rather than the disruption leading to revival, it leads to a people that are divided and distracted and disillusioned and disappointed and discouraged. In your own life. In your own life. And this is where hope, hope and faith are connected to understanding the nature and character of God. Again and again, hope and faith are connected to I understand who God is and I understand how he works. That's why David says, teach me your ways so that I can rely, so that I can trust on, so I can trust in, lean on, have faith in your faithfulness. Part of, part of the issue is, is, is that we somehow have gotten to a place where when disruption comes, Here's a statement I want to make to you. There is no disruption that can stop God's plan for your life and his church. God's plan for your life and God's plan for his church in the earth will not be stopped or slowed down by disruption. Do you know what the... uh, the paradox called the irresistible force paradox is. The irresistible force, you've heard it, it's this. It's a classic paradox formulated as what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. So the paradox that you can't solve is this. What happens when there's an immovable object and an unstoppable force? The problem that I have right now is, is that I think that the church has begun to believe that we're in a paradox. We believe that God is this this unstoppable force, but we seem to have encountered an immovable object. And I just want to tell you this, we're not in a paradox. Am I allowed to say that right now? We're not in a paradox. We're not in a situation where there's an immovable object that's met an unstoppable force. I think that we have given things more credit than they deserve. You know, a passage that I pray consistently in these times when we gather is, look at this passage in Psalms 35. Psalm 35.10 says this, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people. I'm going to put this up there. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Put that up on the screen. Let me show this to you. I I, I need you to do this because this verse is not describing the irresistible force paradox. It's not describing an immovable object with an unstoppable force. He says, listen, the counsel of the nations and the plans of the people, I bring them into nothing. They're of no effect. He says, but here's what's going to last for all generations. The counsel 
of the Lord and the plans of his heart. That's what's going to stand. That's what's going to go. And I'm telling you, we have given the counsel of the nations and the plans of the people more credit than they deserve. We have acted like the counsel of the nations and the plans of the people is the immovable object. Even in our own life, I remember the Lord, I remember the Lord in my own personal life, not even in, in what's happening in the nation, but years ago, I was working at Bethel and it was, I was youth pastor and it was before Jesus culture really taken off. And, and one of the kind of my spiritual followers, a hero in my life, filling stadiums and they had invited me to come on staff with them. So I was having to make a decision, like, do I leave Bethel and go on staff? What do I do? And, and I was so torn, but I was torn because I just really didn't want to mess up my destiny. I'm type A, I'm driven. I got a call of God on my life. I did not want to make a decision that was going to mess that up. So, so I was down here. I was actually in Orange County at one, for one of our Disneyland trips. I was walking around the streets of Orange one morning, just praying. Like, God, I don't want to make the wrong decision. God, I just don't want to mess this up. And as I'm walking, the Lord just stops me. And he says, he says, Banning, you are giving yourself way too much credit. <laughs> and I said, I said, what do you mean? He said, you think think that a decision you make is going to mess up the plans I have for you. He said, he said, you're not that big. You're giving yourself way too much credit. We, we believe that about our own lives. We believe that somehow, it, and, and listen, I, I was like a, 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 an obedient child of God wanting to do my best. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to mess up the plans I have for you by making. And I feel like the Lord just wants to tell that to us, right? Like you've looked at what's happening in the nation, the state, and you're giving it too much credit. It's not that big. This is not the irresistible force paradox we're encountering. Faith is an interesting thing because, especially in charismatic world, faith is not. Sometimes in the charismatic world, it, it's, it, this is such a generalized statement, so forgive me for, I hate general statements, I'm going to make one. Sometimes, sometimes what happens is, is we think that faith is just ignoring the mountain. Closing our eyes, plugging our ears, there is no mountain, 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 there is no mountain. And everybody else is like, I'm pretty sure that's a mountain I'm looking at. I, are we? Are we not in the same room right now or what's happening? Because that looks like a mountain. Faith is not ignoring the mountain. Faith is recognizing there's a greater reality than the mountain. So we don't ignore cancer. We just recognize there's a greater reality than cancer. We, we recognize there's a higher name than cancer. We don't ignore marriage issues. We don't ignore, like, we don't ignore what's happening in the state, what's happening in the nation. We, we, don't, we don't act like the enemy has no plans. It's not like, well, there is no demonic agenda at all in the nation. We say, well, well, there might be a demonic agenda, but my heart is not connected to that. It's connected to the greater reality, the plans of God. Can I just say this real quick? Put that verse back up. Faith, faith is this. I'm going to anchor myself to the greater reality. It's not ignoring the mountain. It's just anchoring myself. Here's the big dilemma right now. Here's what happens. When I don't study the film of God 
and I don't understand how he works. I don't understand his ways. In fact, here, unbelief is actually not a lack of belief. Unbelief is not a lack of belief. Unbelief is my belief connected to the wrong thing. So unbelief is when my, my life is connected to counsel and plans of the people. This is one of the things that happens. It's very interesting in our day. We talked about this last time I was here. People think that, you know, Jesus says, hey, in the world, you're gonna have trials and tribulations. He goes, but don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. You're gonna have peace in me because I've overcome the world. We read that verse and we think that I have to become an expert in trials and tribulations. Or, or a better analogy would be, there are storms all around us. Jesus is in the boat with us. And we think, I better know everything I can about this storm. I better study this storm. I'm gonna listen to every podcast there is on this storm. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read every book there is on this storm. I am going to become, an, and we become more anchored to the storm than the name that is above the storm with us that has plans. Hope comes from understanding how God works connected to his nature and character. You may have had disruption in your life. I am convinced it's unto something. I am convinced that like Joseph, the enemy may have meant it for evil, but God is going to bring good. That there is, that in the midst of famine, God uses it as a catalyst for a harvest. That, that God has plans that are not going to be stopped by the council of the nations or the plans of the people. And we have to stop giving things more credit than they deserve. There is a name higher than any other name. The power of God is greater than any other power. The spirit of God is greater than the spirit of this age. The name of Jesus is higher than any other name. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna anchor myself to that reality. It is not naive. There is a mountain in front of us, but I'm gonna anchor myself to something different. I believe that God wants to put hope in you. And, and the storyline of God that says this, man, your life may have been disrupted. You may have experienced loss. There may be inconvenience. There may be all these things, but I believe that disruption leads to revival. I believe that the disruption in Jerusalem is about to manifest in revival in Samaria. Yes. And we're going to see a great harvest. We're going to see a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I refuse to believe. Sometimes we just get to that point where we're like, well, it's just all hope is lost. It was a good try, God. It was a good effort. I know there's been a lot of words over California, but, and we give way, way too much credit to a political office. We give way too much credit to somehow the plans of the enemy and all this type of stuff. And we have to understand when I read the storyline of God, Again and again and again what I encounter. This is, do you know the book Cure of All Ills? There's a book, so there's, there's a passage in, in uh, 2 Kings, there's a story of Jehu. Uh, I don't want to preach on this, but Elijah has already gone to heaven. Ahab is dead, but Elijah, uh, Jezebel is still influencing the king of Israel and the king of Judah. It's still, even though they had victory on Mount Carmel, uh, unrighteousness is still the dominant force in Israel. And, uh, and, and Jehu was sitting in Ramoth Gilead and a prophet had to come to Jehu because he was just sitting there and the prophet had to come, if you can read the story, and he had to, he had to, he had to reveal the storyline of what God was doing in Israel because it looked bleak. 
It looked bleak. But God was about to come and shift the story. The book, the book Cure of All Ills, was written in the 90s by an elderly intercessor lady. It's got the absolute worst cover of any book, and it is incredible. It's an incredible book. And the, the book is actually, she does a study on how awakenings and outpourings come when society's at their lowest. So when society is morally, socially, economically at its lowest, that's when God breaks in. The book is Cure of All Ills. The cure of all ills is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, an awakening. And so she actually tracks throughout history when the first great awakening, the second great awakening, these revivals, the ter- the, the, the ter- they, they came when society was at a, at a low and then it came back up. Here's the point. This is why we have so much hope. It's because we can look around and go, oh, oh yeah, it, it may look bleak as it did in Jerusalem. But this is when God shows up. I know the storyline of God. I know how he works. One of the ways my dad and I connected growing up when I was in middle school was when we would watch WWE together. And uh, I don't know if you've ever really spent much time with WWE, but it's, it's, it's pretty much a male soap opera. It's a male soap opera. There's like storylines and villains and heroes and, and you're in it. And, and, and there seems to still be a lot of people that love it, you know. And so, so I remember watching WWE and this was back when it was like the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan and, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage and it was Jimmy Snooker. It was all these guys, right? So... So we used to watch all the time. I've been to three of them live. I've been to Royal Rumble. I've been to all of these ones, right? And when you, watch the, when you watch this, if you've watched it enough, it's the same thing every time. It's the same storyline every single time. There's a villain and there's a hero and you get to hate the villain and you love the hero and it's all leading up to this match and then they get to this match on pay-per-view and you watch this match and the match is the same every time. They're back and forth for a while. It looks like it's going to be even and all of a sudden your guy that you love starts getting beat up and it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good and he's starting to go down and all of a sudden he, gets, he, gets, he takes a hit where it just lays him out and you're convinced he's dead. He's dead. This is it. And, but but, the, but the, the opponent, the guy you hate, he doesn't pin him at first. He has to spend some time gloating. <laughs> so you know the 20,000 people in the arena are booing him and jeering at him and he's just like, you know, he's all proud of himself. And while his back is turned, your guy who looks dead <laughs> all of a sudden starts twitching. This is the same storyline every single time. And if you've been there live, your guy starts twitching. And there's just like, all of a sudden, there's just this anticipation that starts building like, oh, man. And he just starts moving. And he kind of, he just get up on just, just a barely. And, and the guy doesn't see it yet because he's gloating and he's just walking around celebrating his victory. And then all of a sudden, our guy gets up on one knee. And the place starts going crazy. And all of a sudden, the other guy turns around, sees him on a knee. He's got this look on his face. Our guy stands up, and the, the match is about to be over. It never goes on further than this. He pins him We every single time. 
So you can imagine if I brought a friend who had never watched WWE. They didn't know the storyline like I know the storyline. So when I bring them with me to the event and he's there and that's our guy, and my guy starts getting beat up, he's worried. He's stressed. He's thinking, this doesn't look good. And I'm like, oh, it's, it'll be all right. It doesn't look like it's going to be fine. Trust me on this. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, I am sure. And all of a sudden, my guy gets knocked down. He looks dead. He's like, dude, your guy's dead. This is not going to work out. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just watch this. Just, just watch this. Are you ready for this? Just watch this. He's going to start twitching. I know that guy's gloating right now, but this match is about over. And all of a sudden, he's, he, he stands up one knee. And the whole time, this guy's stressed out. I'm not stressed. You know why I'm not stressed? Because I know the storyline. I know how this thing works. <laughs> I know how this... And I just, just and all of a sudden... Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, there's something about... When I don't know how God works, when I don't know that Acts 8.1 is connected to Acts 1.8, when I don't know that disruption leads to revival. I'm looking at everything going, oh, this doesn't look good. This doesn't look good. I just, I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's all over. And those that know the storyline of God, go, oh, just wait. This is actually when God breaks in. This is actually when things start turning. Like this is when he's about to start pouring out a spirit. This is when we're going to see a great harvest in our day. This is when, this is when he's going to turn around my finances. This is when he's going to heal my marriage. This is when he's going to bring prodigals home because this is how God works. When you understand the storyline of God, you can be standing in a heap of ashes with everything burned down around you. And you can say this, God's about to bring beauty because God brings beauty out of ashes. That when I'm standing in ashes, I know the storyline of God, that God brings beauty in ashes. I understand that when I'm mourning, he brings oil. I understand that although I may be weeping throughout the night, that joy is about to come when the sun rises. This is the storyline of God that we know again and again, that I may be weeping right now. I may be, I, there, there may be a disturbance that's come. I may have experienced loss. There is a disruption that's come. And I may be weeping, but we know the storyline of God. That I may be weeping through the night, but joy is going to come in the morning because that's how he works. That's how he works. And again, and again, and again, I have read it. I have studied the game film of Scripture. I know how he works. Weeping will not last. It will end. And the plans that God has for my life will not be stopped or slowed down because of disruption. The plans that God has for his church will not be stopped or slowed down by disruption. God will use what the enemy meant for evil and he will bring a great harvest in from it. God will use what the enemy meant for evil and he will advance his plans. It is the plans of God that are going to last throughout all generations. 
And this is, this is, I want you to have great hope and great expectation, great anticipation as we head into 2022. Because I'm telling you right now, we are going to see revival in Samaria. I am not up here just like somehow cheerleading for you or trying to encourage you. I am telling you that when you read scripture, the disruption leads to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in unprecedented ways in Samaria. And we're going to see prodigals come on. I believe that famine although not caused by God, is a catalyst for great, a great harvest. This is the prodigal son coming home when he had experienced famine, when he had come to the end of himself, when he came to the realization that all that the world has promised him, they could not deliver on. The church has to get ready in the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of all of the things that are happening. What is about to get exposed is this, that the world promises things that it cannot deliver on. The world promises peace and it promises security and it cannot deliver on those two things. It promises identity. The world says, follow your desire. You will find your identity. That lie is about to get exposed. That lie is going to get exposed. And we could sit right now and give it way more credit. Or we can just say, God, you're going to use what the enemy is meaning for evil. And you are going to bring a great harvest in. Because people are going to come to the end and realize what the world has promised me. It cannot give me. It cannot deliver. It has lied to me. We're going to say, let me tell you who can give you peace. Let me tell you who can give you security. Let me tell you who can give you identity. We're going to see a great harvest. And in your life, I just want to tell you this. I believe that God wants to put something supernatural in you that says, I am excited about 2022. God's going to do something. I have hope for my finances. I have hope for my family. I have hope for my future. I have hope for my church. I have hope for my city. I have hope for my state. I have hope for my nation. This is when God shows up. I actually feel like some of you in this room need to repent. You know what you need to repent of? You've been giving things too much credit. You've been looking at things and you've been giving them way too much credit. You've been acting like somehow they're more powerful than God's plans. You've been looking at it and saying, oh, like somehow you, you have thought that God has met his match. God's met his match and we're giving himself, you're getting, you're get, I, I want, I'm serious. We just need to stop and say, God, I just declare over that. There's a name higher than that. I don't know what it is, but many of you guys have placed the name of something over the name of Jesus. We just stop today and say, Jesus, we, we put your name above every other name. We just recognize, we just pray that Psalm 33, God, that, that your plans are what are going to last. It's your plans that are above the plans of people, the council of nations. Can we just take a moment wherever you're at, in your own personal life, how you view the state, the nation, whatever it may be. Just take a moment. And then, God, I just ask that you would come and bring hope, anticipation, expectation, Fill us with faith, God, for what you're going to do. We want to know how you work.
Lord, we want to recognize that Acts 8.1 is not all by itself. It doesn't sit by itself. It sits in the context connected to Acts 1.8. God, you bring great revival in our day. That you would break in. Thank you for listening to the Jesus Culture San Diego Message of the Week. For more information on our church, visit jcsandiego.com.